Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled Prime. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Several years ago, the members of North End Prince of Peace Lutheran Church received a postcard in the mail promoting a very special upcoming Sunday. The pastor was calling it No Excuse to Stay at Home Sunday. According to the postcard, the following perks would be provided for those members that showed up on this particular Sunday. Uh, The postcard stated cots would be provided for those who stopped coming to church because it was their only day to sleep in. Eye drops for those who had stayed out too late the night before. Hard hats for those who were afraid the church roof would cave in if they showed up. It's one of my favorites. Blankets for those who thought the church was too cold. Fans for those who thought the church was too hot. Scorecards for those who thought the church had too many hypocrites. Microwave dinners for the ones who said... They didn't have time to both attend church and cook Sunday dinner or Sunday lunch. And then finally, on no excuse to stay at home Sunday, the worship center would be filled with Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who had never seen the church without them. You know, there are a lot of man-centered strategies being used to draw people to church these days that have unfortunately perpetuated the myth that the church is all about us or catering to our needs. However, the Apostle Paul wants us to know that the purpose of the church is much bigger and much better than that. And so we're continuing our series in the book of Colossians today called Prime. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Colossians chapter 2 and take out the sermon notes that are in your worship folder you received when you came in. Uh, And just for a quick review, Colossians is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the church in the city of Colossae. It was a uh, a city in uh, the region of Asia Minor. Paul was under house arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel. Uh, While incarcerated, a man came to visit the Apostle, uh, and that man was named Epaphras. Epaphras had planted the church in Colossae and was coming to Paul to ask for help in evicting false teachers that were infiltrating the church. Our theme verse for this series is Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, you have it on your sermon note handout, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Let's say it out loud together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, preeminent, you might remember from a few weeks ago, comes from the, it's, it's the English rendering of a Greek word that means, and it's only used here, it means to hold first place. The Apostle Paul has been telling us, both directly and indirectly throughout this letter, that putting anything else in our lives first is essentially putting Jesus last. And to use the language of both Jesus and the apostles, he didn't save us so that we could put him last. He saved us, among other reasons, so he could finally be first in our hearts. 
Sadly, one of the places Jesus easily gets knocked out of first place is in his own church. This is tragic because one of the most powerful resources the Lord has provided to help you and I keep Jesus first in our lives is the church. And so thus our big idea for today is this, Jesus first churches help your walk with Jesus grow. Jesus first churches help your walk with Jesus grow. We learned in part one of this message a few weeks ago from Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 20 that Jesus should be first in the church because he created everybody in the church. He bought everybody in the church with the currency of his blood. And then he founded the church. It was his idea in the first place. I then explained from the text why we should never uh, be the focus of what the church does. Doing so produces a self-centered consumerism. On the other hand, when the church makes its goal glorifying and uh, uh, loving and proclaiming Jesus... One of the healthy byproducts that comes out of that for the Christ followers in the church is that they grow. They grow in maturity. And so Paul, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, answers at least two questions that come to mind. The first being, how can the church help you mature in Christ? And why is it important for you and I to mature in Christ? And so with that, if you would look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Here's the, the first point in your outline, the first of three truths that Paul is going to tell us today. And that is that Jesus' first churches pray for your spiritual health. Jesus' first churches pray for your spiritual health. When Paul says, how, I want you to know how great a struggle I'm having for you, I want you to envision Paul uh, under house arrest in Rome, a uh, thousand miles away, writing this letter to a church on the, you know, basically the east side of the world. He's on the west side of the world at that time, and he's, he's, he's writing to a church that exists because... He boldly proclaimed the gospel and took it out to the Gentile world. That got him put in jail, but he never visited that church or planted it. So they've never met him or seen him face to face. But he wants to communicate to the people in Colossae that even though you've not seen me, you don't know me personally, I am fighting for you. Paul uses a word here that's, an intriguing choice in the original text he does because uh, it's a word that's pregnant with meaning. The root of the Greek word agon is normally used to describe the struggle or battle within an athletic contest. However, in this context, he uses a version of the Greek word that describes the anxiety or concern that's part of the struggle or a contest. It could literally be rendered this, I want you to know how great a contest I'm having on your behalf. Now some commentators believe that Paul was referring to the overall challenges of his ministry and 
for which he was in chains. Although this is plausible, I think it's more likely, and I agree with other commentators, that I think he's referring to the prayer battle that he was waging for them. In fact, he was waging it for Colossae and Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was an even larger, wealthier city with a church a few miles northwest of Colossae and located in the same valley. We know there was a church located there because not only Paul references it here, but he also um, references it in chapter 4, verse 16. You can look at that later if you want or just jot down. But in chapter 4, verse 16, the end of the letter, this letter, he tells, he tells the Colossians, I want you to pass my letter on to the Laodiceans as well. Now, if Jesus' first churches pray for your spiritual health, like Paul did, then why is our spiritual health so important to the Lord? Well, I'm going to give you uh, A, B, and C. These are not on your outline under number one. I apologize. I thought of these after the outline went to print. So I'm just going to tell you so you can budget space under number one if you want to get these down. But I'm going to share A, B, and C. Here's three reasons why our spiritual health is important to the Lord and why Paul prayed for the spiritual health of the believers in Colossae and Laodicea. So here's A. Stagnancy disappoints the Lord. Unfortunately, the false teachers Paul was trying to evict out of Colossae appeared to have already taken over Laodicea. Jesus pronounced his now famous but stinging rebuke on the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Jesus wrote this to the church in Laodicea. He said this, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Revelation 3, 15 to 16 is where that term lukewarm, it's kind of Christianese for being spiritually apathetic or stagnant. In, in essence, stagnancy disappoints the Lord because the cause behind stagnancy is not walking with the Lord. And no one walks with Him without... Well, no one walks with Him and stays the same. And so that's why I think He hates lukewarmness and stagnancy because apathy is bad for the soul and it means you're not walking with me. Here's a letter B. The second reason our spiritual health is important is that stagnancy limits our usefulness. It limits our usefulness. Paul was praying for the Colossians' spiritual growth and I pray for yours as well every week because the opposite of growth in the Bible is Apathy. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author stops some deep teaching that he was doing on the priesthood of Jesus Christ, and he says this about this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. 
but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So, so in essence, the author of Hebrews to the audience of Jewish converts that he was writing to was having to deal with spiritual apathy or stagnancy as well. And in essence, what the author was saying to his audience is a different group of believers than what Paul was writing to. The author was saying, I want to teach you more, and I want to see God use you more, but I can't because you're stuck in spiritual infancy. You, you, you may have been saved several years ago, but you're still getting in a high chair and drinking from a baby bottle, and that's not good. However, Hebrews 5 shouldn't discourage us. It shouldn't overwhelm us or demoralize us. Instead, I want to help you see that in Hebrews 5, verses 11 14, there's hope and encouragement. You see, because embedded in that text is the fact that the Lord wants to reveal more of himself to us. He wants to do more in us and through us. You see, the author says, you ought to be teachers by now. You could be doing more for the Lord by now. And you still can if you will grow spiritually. So please don't miss that. So, so Jesus, in Revelation 3, said he was disappointed with stagnancy and called it lukewarm. Um, uh, the author of Hebrews says it limits our usefulness. And then letter C, stagnancy makes us vulnerable to false teaching. That's why Paul is he's urging the Colossians to walk or continue walking with the Lord because he's saying, you need to do this because it's one of the best protections against false teaching. Like a toddler who will put Lego pieces in his mouth, baby believers often swallow anything that looks like it comes from the Bible without checking to see if it's actually true first. The apostle was writing this letter in order to prevent this from happening. So, application. How do we be doers of the word? How do we walk in the truth? To use John's turn of phrase from John's letters, I think we need to pray for the spiritual health of our church. We need to pray for the spiritual health of our church and our own spiritual health. Why? Well, because since the greatest problem of every human being on earth is their sin, and Jesus Christ solved the problem with his death, then he should be the most important relationship that we have. And, and since he's the most important relationship anyone can have, the majority of our prayers should focus on getting people to Jesus and closer to Jesus. This is how the Apostle Paul prayed, and it's why he prayed this way. This means that if there's a person in your life who shows no signs of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you pray first for their salvation. It means that if you have a brother or sister in Christ that's stuck in sin or struggling with sin, then you pray first for their relationship with Jesus. Because a healthy relationship with Jesus solves a lot of problems. 
churches. So Jesus' first churches help your walk with Jesus grow. Look at the text again with me, uh, chapter 2 in Colossians, verses 2 and 3. So Paul says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's number two on your outline. Paul's telling us, Jesus first churches, propel your spiritual growth. Verse 1 tells us Paul is praying for the Colossians and the Laodiceans. Verses 2 and 3 here tell us what he's praying for. And although the apostle doesn't say it out loud until verse 6, what he's praying for is their walk with the Lord. I think pastor and author Eugene Peterson defined it best when he called walking with the Lord a long obedience in the same direction. I've tried, honestly, myself to come up with a better definition than that, and I just can't. It's succinct, it's, it's potent, and I, I just can't beat it. So I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I've always liked this definition because it emphasizes a sustained movement, a submission to the Lord's will, and a surrender to his leading. A long obedience in the same direction. Throughout the scriptures, walking is used as an idiom for a way of life or a code of conduct characterized by a growing, deepening walk with Jesus Christ. Now, a local church propelling, I mean, I know what you might be thinking, a local church propelling a believer's spiritual growth may sound commonplace, like, well, duh. But honestly, I have found it's not that common anymore. For example, countless people in my first church plant, uh, I remember when doing membership interviews, and then even several of you while doing your membership interviews have told me, that you decided to change churches after 10, 20, or 30 years of not growing spiritually. And because that always shocks me when I hear that reasoning, I, I like to ask, well, then why, why did you wait to make a change? What, what kept you there? Why did you stay there so long? And the most common answer I get is they stayed in that church where they were not growing because of relationships. They had relationships there. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. Perhaps it was the only church they'd ever known. But regardless, they eventually made a change because the Holy Spirit convicted them to move their spiritual growth up to the top of their priority list ahead of their friends and their comfort. Now, don't get me wrong. Relationships are important in the church. They are. But the Lord... He doesn't want them hindering our spiritual growth. They should help it instead. And if your relationships are hindering your spiritual growth, I think the Lord would take issue with that. So next, Paul, in verses 2 and 3, lists some of the spiritual growth that a growing walk with the Lord produces. 
These are not the only things, but these are the things he was praying for and the things that he, I think, wanted to see in the Colossians and Laodiceans. So here's some walking signs. This would be letters A, B, and C, and D on your outline. Uh, Letter A, uh, people who walk with the Lord and they're thriving spiritually, they have a growing confidence. They have a growing confidence. Paul says, I'm praying that their hearts may be encouraged. The apostle uses a unique pairing of words here in the original text. It intrigues me. I know it may not intrigue you, but I get fired up about this. It's paraklethosin cardii. Excuse me. Basically, it's, it's comforting the heart. It's a type of comfort that touches the deepest part of our being and affects every aspect of our person. He uses the same uh, two Greek words, pairing of Greek words in uh, Colossians 4, verse 8. And then he also uses it when writing the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, 22. He's not saying that we should be immune to discouragement. Instead, I think the very fact that he writes, I'm praying that you'll be encouraged in your heart, means I know you'll get discouraged from time to time. We all do. Every Christ follower experiences discouragement at one time or another. However, those that maintain a consistent walk with the Lord will not experience it as much. And Although they'll pull through it, they'll get through it because they're, they're in his word and they're, me, they're meditating and praying over his promises and the hope that they have in Christ. So, so uh, spiritual growth in a growing walk with the Lord produces a growing confidence. Next, churches that stress the importance of walking with the Lord also, letter B, they, have, they grow in unity. They grow in unity. Paul says, I'm praying that your hearts would be knit together. Or the NIV says, united in love. Unity is obviously critical for the survival of any church because disunity divides churches. But the secret to unity that many divided churches have missed is rallying around the truth of God's word. When members of the church put their personal preferences in the back seat and they put God's word in the front seat, they achieve a unity of spirit that cannot be broken. So uh, they have a growing confidence. There's a growing unity when there's spiritual growth happening. Another sign of spiritual maturity that Paul was praying for is growing in knowledge. Growing in knowledge. Letter C. He says, understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Now, Uh, Just a little sneak preview for next week. He uses the word mystery on purpose here. It's intentional. This is because one of the greatest heresies, or one of the heresies, excuse me, that was invading the church in Colossae was called Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism undermined the true gospel by teaching that there were mysteries about Jesus that were hidden from most believers. It sort of taught that there was a a higher level of spirituality that you could achieve with greater knowledge. Uh, More on this next week, but let me just say, Paul Paul was trying to clarify, saying, everything that you need to know about Jesus has been revealed in his word. 
There, there is no greater mystery that you need to long for, pray for, or hope for that the spiritual elite get. You have everything you need, is what Paul was saying. Next, a growing knowledge should lead to a growing in wisdom, letter D. A growing in wisdom. Wisdom is a skillful application of God's word to every area of our lives. Sadly, numerous surveys conducted in our country over the years indicate there are many who profess to have a relationship with Jesus, but few who know the scriptures, and even fewer who know how to apply the scriptures. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it here at Vanguard in trying to help you learn so that when you do your devotions during the week, I want you to look at God's Word and to be asking yourself after you read a passage, okay, how do I apply this? Or, or if, you, if you go visit another church while you're on vacation maybe and, and you're listening to another pastor preach, I want you to be asking yourself, how do I apply this? So that it just becomes a natural habit for you. Wisdom gained from knowing and applying God's word makes us eligible for his blessings, improves our decision making, and protects us from harming ourselves with sinful choices. So, speaking of application, here's one for you for point two invest in your spiritual growth. Invest in your spiritual growth. Just as we see in retirement vehicles such as 401ks and IRAs, you will not see a return on investment until you put resources in first. The same is true in the spiritual life. You have to invest time in order to grow in your walk with the Lord. Spending time in God's Word daily will provide the wisdom you need later in the day. Spending time in prayer during your morning devotions will provide the strength you need to get through the week. Spending time in a church small group will provide the encouragement you need to get through the month. And making time for corporate worship each week will provide the fuel you need to get through the year. So invest in your spiritual growth. Because Jesus First Churches help your walk with Jesus grow. Finally, let's look at verses 4 through 7. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as uh, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up. In him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here's the final point, the third truth that Paul is telling the Colossians and us. Jesus' first churches protect you from false teaching. Jesus' first churches protect you from false teaching. The apostle was very concerned about keeping the Colossians from being led away from the true faith by false teachers. Notice he says that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Did you know that there are false teachers out there, even in the world today? They're in every community 
trying to delude you, deceive you, to get you to believe things about God that are not true. Some translations render this fine-sounding or well-crafted, or arguments that sound reasonable. The word in the original text refers to a, a dynamic, lofty, captivating oratory that the Greeks loved and Plato was known for. In other words, what Paul is saying when he says that no one may delude you with plausible or fine-sounding arguments, what he is saying is you have to listen to substance so you won't be duped by style. And hey, if you can find style and substance in one preacher, that's great. But never compromise substance for style. And what he wanted for the Colossians and what he wants for us is for us to be discerning enough to see through style in dynamic oratory and to listen and go, what is this guy saying? And does it line up with God's word? Is it true? You see, because it doesn't matter how great he is at saying it or how funny or engaging it is, if it's not true... I don't need to hear it. So thus, then Paul says in verse 6, so if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord, walk in Him. Notice it's a non-negotiable. You can't profess to know Christ, but then not walk with Him. It's, it's not an option. So as you receive Christ, so walk in Him. Now, I'm going to get a little technical here, and I only do this when I think it's worthwhile. So let's pretend we're going to seminary, and we're in a New Testament Greek class just for a minute. I don't want to scare you with big words, nor am I trying to impress you. But I'm going somewhere with this. So notice in your Bible it says, verse 6, so walk in him. Paul uses what's called the present active indicative tense in the Greek text. This means that those who general, genuinely receive Christ as Savior in Colossae were already walking with him. The indicative mood means there is to be no contingency on walking. Like, well, I'll walk with Jesus until it's comfortable. You know, or until it's not comfortable, then I'm going to stop. You know, once he asks me to do something I don't want to do, I'm going to stop walking. No, 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 no. Paul's saying there should be no conditions on the walking. Thus, he's saying what has already begun should continue without any conditions. Or another way to translate it would be go on walking with him without any conditions. So, final application, remain rooted in him. He uses three metaphors here in verses, uh, verse 7, excuse me, I don't have time to unpack them all, but, but the, the main one I wanted to focus on is rooted. It's, a, it's an agricultural metaphor. He wants us to abide in Christ. Believers are not to be tumbleweeds with no roots that are just easily blown around by false teaching or tossed about by their emotions. 
No, we instead are supposed to have roots that ground us in the faith. This means that even when we don't see him working, when we don't hear the Spirit's voice or feel his presence, we are to remain rooted in him. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. The only thing we have to worry about is leaving him. So we need to remain rooted. Well, let's be the kind of church that keeps Jesus first. I'm confident that if we do so, we won't have to have a no-excuse-to-stay-at-home Sunday to get everybody here. Because if Jesus is first in our lives, he'll be first in our church. And if he's first in our church, we won't want to stay home. Jesus' first churches help you walk, help your walk with Jesus grow. But you will have to put one foot in front of the other. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I realize in a group this size, there may be some that are struggling in their walk with you for various reasons. I just want to ask, Lord, please, would you... Would you minister to them? Would you, would you speak to them through your word and through your spirit? Father, please, would you let them know that you're here, that you've not left them. That, that, that in their discouragement or disappointment with you, they need to keep walking. And that they're not the first ones to ever be discouraged or disappointed. Father, I also want to pray for those maybe that believe things about you that are not true, things that maybe they've heard from false teachers or heard from the world. Lord, would you undo those lies or replace them with truth? Would you, would you lead them to scriptures that reveal who you are and how you work? Because we know, Lord, that bad theology leads to poor choices deep disappointment with you Father finally would you, would you help us to be a church that puts you first in everything and Lord if there is in any heart including mine if there is anything that has knocked you into the back seat if there is anything Lord that we have put in first place other than you you show us what that is like you did with the rich young ruler would you show us so that we can address that repent of it remove it from the throne of our hearts and put Jesus back up there we love you Lord and we pray all this in his powerful name amen Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.